0: Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 24. Proverbs chapter 23, and then I'll begin reading in verse 24. Now I'm looking at a group of folks this morning. You're precious to me. And. It's obvious that some of the people that I wanted to preach to and preach for are not here this morning, but I'm going to preach this anyhow, and I'm going to preach it to the best of my ability, and the Lord bless it to those who may listen to it afterwards. For a lot of you, you're going to hear things that you grew up with these kind of principles and morals and These things that came from the Bible uh, are going to be familiar to your ears. Um, This has been a great learning experience for me, really, just preparing for this message. Proverbs 23, verses 24 and 25. The Father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice... And he that begetteth a wise son shall have joy of him. Thy father and thy mother shall be glad, and she that bear thee shall rejoice. Professional baseball has been played in America since 1875. But on September the 14th, 1990, something happened that has never happened before in the world of baseball, and has never happened since. Late in his career, uh, Ken Griffey Sr., he was a key member of the World Series Championship of the Cincinnati Reds years before. He was signed by the Seattle Mariners. and His son, Ken Griffey Jr., was just starting his major league career at that time. In the first inning of the game against the Angels, Griffey Sr., hit a home run to the left center field. His son followed him to the plate and hit another home run to almost exactly the same spot. That father rejoiced over his son that day. The father of the righteous, the Bible says, shall greatly rejoice. And he that begetteth a wise child in this passage and really what you find all throughout the book of proverbs is that wisdom leads to righteousness wisdom directly leads to righteous living and the bible says that children who are righteous will cause their parents, the father, and their mother to rejoice. On the other hand, there's a whole lot of grief and sorrow of heart caused by foolish children who are unrighteous and wayward. So, how can we be wise How can we raise children to the best of our ability to be righteous, to do right, to go in the right way, to follow in the way that we've led them? That's what I want to look at in this message today, entitled, A Wise Father, Parents, with the Proverbs. Let's go together to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father. Lord, I thank you for this message today. I thank you for the word of God. I thank you for the way that it's spoken to my heart. And I thank you for the way that you've rearranged my thinking. And Father, um, you know that I've committed to you in these things to raise the children that are in my home with with the Proverbs and the, the teachings and principles from the Bible. And I pray, Father, that you would bless that. Uh, As fathers, Lord, we are imperfect. We we don't bat a thousand. We don't hit home runs every time. But Father, I pray that you would, by your spirit, give us the grace to lead in this way and to raise children. I pray for those that may listen to this message afterward, that it would be a blessing and a help to them to determine and commit themselves to raise their children according to the Bible to do it God's way, to do it the Bible way. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Proverbs 22, would you go there? 22, verse 6, a famous verse, one that I'm sure that you have mixed feelings about. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Now, I'm not going to be back tonight, and we're going to be gone for two weeks. We're starting vacation tomorrow. Today I'm spending time with my dad and spending time with the kids at the house But uh, I want to tell you ahead of time, thank you for uh, wishing me Happy Father's Day. Thank you for the gifts, those that you gave cards and things like that. And thank you for the love and support that you show to me and to my family. The kids notice it. They love their church family, so thank you. Um, Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way that he would go. Is that what it says? should go. That's right. Not the way that he would go, but the way that he should go. That is, train him properly. Train her properly. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's what the Bible says. What does this verse mean? Alright, I'm going to take that as my first heading. The way we understand This verse and the way that we explain this verse will determine the way that we raise children in America in the 21st century as Bible-believing Christians. So the meaning is so important. There are several different interpretations there have been new interpretations that have come along lately because parents, listen, parents who have done everything that they knew that they were to do and they admit that they weren't perfect, but they raised their children in church and, and tried to uh, be sincere and be genuine and and be uh, you know at home the same thing that they are at church and uh, have done really the best that they could do and have raised their children according to righteousness in, in the Bible and later on to find out that after they've graduated from high school and gone on to college that they have rejected their faith, rejected the faith of the parents, rejected the way that their parents raised them, and have uh, have gone off uh, out into the world. And so parents say, well, does this promise really work? The Bible says we should train up a child in the way he should go, and then he won't depart when he is older. And so some people have doubted the Scriptures, doubted this promise. So we need to understand what it means. The most common meaning attached to it, the meaning that believers understood 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 300 years ago. Let's get away from the 20th century because that's when all the corruption happened in America, both in Christian institutions and in secular institutions. How have believers understood this? They've understood it as a general promise. Is it a guarantee? No. It's not a guarantee. Although that's the way that people look at it today. It's a guarantee. If you bring up your child with the right discipline, instruction, and loving affection, then when he grows up, He won't depart from the right way. That's plainly what it's saying. That's the promise. He won't depart from the right way. But can we guarantee that when our children grow up, that they're going to love the Lord? Can we guarantee that they're going to be saved and believe the Bible? Can we guarantee that? No. You can't save your child you cannot regenerate the fallen heart that is dead in trespasses and sins. You can't give that heart new life. Salvation is of the Lord. It's not of man that willeth. It's the Lord that must save. You cannot guarantee that your child will be saved just because you raise them in church and raise them around Christian influences. That's not the guarantee here. Um... Every child must make that choice. I know, I know good Christian homes, and I, I know them intimately. I'm close to them. Pastors' homes, homes of deacons, things like that, that have raised their children, and they, they pretty much raised them all the same. I understand there's a difference in the way that you raise your first child and the way that you raise your last child. There's a difference there. But have done pretty much the same thing with all of their children, and some of them turned out to... Be saved and know the Lord and love the Lord and and to serve the Lord. And then others have gone out into the world and and have denied the faith. We can't guarantee that a child will be saved. But I'll tell you this, you can guarantee that you will ruin your child if you do not train them up in the way that they should go. Um, Many think that if they, now I'm talking about a home that is strict and controlling and disciplinarian and dictatorial and just I mean just have their kids under tight strict control they think if I can just shield my child from all the bad influences and if I can expose them to all of the good influences from zero to 20 years of age then they'll turn out all right no not necessarily they think, if I bring them up in an exclusive Christian environment, that's all they ever do. They go to church, they go to Christian school, and then when they graduate from high school, then I'll send them off to some strict Christian college with a bunch of rules to follow and regulations that force them to stay in line with Christian principles and, and morals that I'll be able to keep them. mm Yep. You can, you, can, you can control and regulate a child's behavior and a teen's behavior, but you can't change their heart. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The problem is, is that you can keep a child in a Christian home, in a Christian church, in a Christian school, and you cannot protect them from evil influences. You know Why? You can't protect them completely. Now listen, I believe we ought to shield children from as much of the evil of the world. So don't get me wrong. A father's job is to shield and protect his children from evil and to keep them safe. But listen, the evil influence is in their heart. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We fall short of... Of God's standards. And we fall short and cannot go to heaven because we are sinners. Natural born sinners. And our heart, the Bible says, is desperately wicked. It's deceitful above all things. Desperately wicked. Who can know it? The, the, the soul of a child and their spirit is bent toward evil from their youth. The Bible says all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. The thoughts of a man's heart will be only evil continually if you just let them go. Don't train them. Don't shield them. Don't protect them. Just let them go in the way that they would go. And the thoughts and intents of their hearts will only be evil continually. That's what the Bible says. That's why God had to bring a flood upon the earth. In Genesis chapter 6. The evil influences of the heart. But guess what? The evil influences of the hearts in their home. Their siblings. Their parents. There's evil influences there. You take them to a Christian church. Guess what? There are evil influences in Christian churches. Newsflash. Sure there are. A lot of times kids learn things in youth groups in Sunday school that fathers and mothers have tried to protect them from for years. And they get it in the youth group. Uh, Sometimes it's corrupt leadership. Sometimes it's a pastor. We read about many reports where pastors, listen, they, they try to make a big deal about how there are, you know, you look at Chicago and what they're exposing right now with Catholic priests and the way that they've abused children. Listen, the abuses is, is from priests, it's from pastors, in churches, Baptist churches, whatever, Protestant churches. Uh, it's school teachers, in secular schools, school principals, uh, coaches in the sports, programs for children, it's uncles, it's aunts, It's dads, killing their children, evil influences. You cannot protect a child ultimately from the evil of his or her own heart. That's something that's between them and the Lord. And all you can do is, is train them and then counsel them and deal with them about their heart. If you just try to control their behavior and expect that they will turn out to be a Christian. No, that's, that's not the promise given. I believe it's clearly saying that if you train them to behave and to love, and to do all of those kind of things, that when he's old, he won't depart from those things that you've instilled in him. He won't be a delinquent. But I don't believe it's a promise that they'll grow up and be saved and love the Word of God. I don't believe that. But I believe that they can grow up and do right, because you've trained them in those things as a youth. But just controlling the behavior is not enough. We have to get to the child's heart. Dr. Skinner, he's a behavioral psychologist, he said a child is like a blank slate. You can tabulate negative marks and positive marks on this child's life because they come to you and they're just a blank. And what you do with them will determine what they will be. So manage the behavior. Manage the environment. Is that true according to the Bible? No. A, Bible, a child does not come to you as a blank slate. A child comes to you as a natural-born sinner inclined... ...to do wrong. So Dr. Skinner, with his behavioral uh, psychology, it's a traditional approach to rearing children. And he says that if you can just control the environment, that's all you need to do, but that doesn't deal with the heart. Children learn how to adapt to their environments, do they not? Children in Christian homes and Christian schools and in churches can adapt to the environment and meet the basic standards that are needed for behavior in order to just get through without anybody giving them a hard time. But their hearts on the inside can be very different. You know what happens to a parent who believes that all I have to do is control the behavior of my child? They correct behavior more than they do character. They'll correct the behavior. They'll say, stop that! Don't do that, that's wrong. And why? why? Why not, Dad? Why? Because I said so. And that's as far as it goes. Now, a, child who, or a parent who wants to train up a child in the way he should go in the Bible would not only correct behavior, but would also correct character and heart attitudes. And I'll tell you this, on the flip side, a parent who wants to parent their child with the Proverbs would also praise the child. For good character, not just for good behavior, but good character and good attitudes and righteous, righteous attitudes. I think with children, a lot of time we, we just make it about behavior. And then that leads children to believe that if I just do good, be good, that I'll get to go to heaven. Because that seems to be the message that I'm getting. And we have to talk about the heart. We have to talk about character. You know in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 4 a pastor is supposed to be quote one that ruleth well his own house a pastor is a father who is supposed to rule his house now that means govern control protect shield have the children in subjection with all Gravity. So dad has to be a serious guy. The, the message that we get about dads, at least that I got growing up and watching television, was the, the, the Homer Simpson type of a dad. Dad is a fool. Or married with kids. That guy was a fool on that show. Or before that, they were trying to you know, pull down the image of a, of a strict, serious dad by making fun of Archie Bunker. And the idea is that dad is a fool and mom is the one who's wise and in control and things like that in the home. That was a direct attack against our family. And maybe because of the abuses of men who abuse their role and become strict disciplinarians and dictators and harsh, harsh treatment, only dealing with the behavior, only saying because I said so and. Never dealing with the heart of the matter. Never dealing with righteousness. You know why? Because you can't deal with righteousness unless you're living it. Because your child will grow up eventually and start to realize about 8, 9, and 10 that you are a hypocrite. And so you can't deal with them about righteousness. So all you have to do is just be, just be angry and strong enough and dominant enough to control them while you have them in your home. But guess what? They're going to grow up and you won't have that control anymore. And then they're going to left, be left with their own heart to lead them because you never dealt with the character. You never dealt with the heart issues. But listen, you're supposed to rule your house. The Bible says in Titus 1 that a pastor is supposed to be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children. Faithful children. Does that mean that they have to be saved or else he can't be a pastor? No, because I can't control whether or not my children get saved. I cannot save them. You can let yourself go of that burden that you you have to save your children. You can't do it. All you can do is put them in a place where they can hear the gospel so that they can hear the call and respond. And then try to live it to the best of your ability at home to be the real thing so that they respect What you're trying to do. But listen, children have to be taught to obey their parents and to respect their parents. That's what it means to train up a child in the way that he should go. And have faithful children. Does that mean saved? No. It says faithful children not accused of riot and unruly. Faithful children are children who are faithful to their responsibility and their roles in the home to their parents. And they are not unruly. They're disciplined and under the control of their father in the home. That's a faithful child. A child who is faithful in the home to obey and respect parents. Faithful at school as a student. Faithful to to be under the authority of a teacher and to mind their P's and Q's. Faithful out in the community. to to love their neighbor as themselves and treat others the way that they want to be treated. Not to be a delinquent and destroy other people's property. Faithful children. Faithful children at church. A pastor has to have children who are faithful. Now listen, that's a requirement, so that means that a pastor is capable of ruling his house and having his children in subjection with all gravity and having children that are not riotous, and unruly. But even at that, how many of you know a pastor who uh, raised some of his children to serve the Lord, and then there were a couple who went off the deep end? Do you know pastors like that? I do. And it wasn't because they were bad men, and it's not because they're not qualified to be a pastor. These are the standards. These are the qualifications and the ideals. But listen, sometimes even pastors have children that are wayward. Now, I know, I know pastors who have all their children ser- saved and serving the Lord. They are greatly blessed. But there comes a point, listen, what I think and what I believe about this is while, while the children are in my home, they are going to be uh, respectful of mom and dad and they are going to obey. And they are going to, uh, they are going to be uh, you know, respectful to others and treat others the way that they want to be treated. But can we guarantee, not even pastors. So if you have children that went wayward, you got to do some heart searching. In a way, I think you ought to let yourself off the hook because there are no perfect parents. You know that? Not even, not even pastors. The only perfect parent is God. Right? Um, God always does the right thing. They say you should teach children about God, that He's holy, that He's righteous, that He's good. Always, always good. He's loving. And He's holy. That means He never does or says or thinks anything wrong. And God perfectly manages the behavior of His children... Righteous standards, expectations are perfect. But his children are unruly and disobey and don't turn out right and backslide and become prodigals and go out and live in the world and then come back to the Father's house. All of his children in the Bible. And if you're honest, you too, right? But while we have to realize that we're just working together with God to raise children, we have to realize that there is a responsibility. I have a responsibility to train up my child. And I have a general promise that when he is older, he won't depart from the things that I'm I'm teaching him. Now listen, I want to give you some, some current research, modern research that is from the world, secular, It's from Harvard, but it backs up. What this verse says. Alright. A man by the name of Sheldon Gluck. He he was a professor at the Harvard Law School. Back in the 20's and 30's. 1920's and 30's. He and his wife worked together. Eleanor. They they conducted a study to determine the causes of juvenile delinquency. And they started with children ages 5 and 6. They had 500 cases that they worked with. They came up with the Gluke Social Prediction Chart. This was later on studied and uh, was used in the research of sociology and criminology in the 1960s. And uh, this was their prediction chart. Five factors that they came up with which can predict whether a child will be a uh, a child that will be obedient or whether a child will be delinquent. So they said they can take a child, five or six, and they can predict whether or not that person, that child, will be delinquent. They can say that child will not be delinquent, or it will. Here's the five factors. Number one, was there discipline by the father in the home? Consistent, fair, discipline. And they were talking about corporal punishment. They were talking about that. They were talking about verbal correction as well. Was there discipline by the father? Did he take his responsibility seriously? Because it's the father's job to discipline. It's mom's job to supervise. The second factor was supervision by the mother. Was there a mother in the home that was supervising the children? She knew where they were at all times, what they were doing. They knew that she knew that they knew, uh, you know, that she knew where they were. They knew that she was watching them, that they would have to give an account to them. There were structures in place. Uh, You do this at this time, take this and put that there, and supervision, running a household. Was there a mother in the home present raising her children and supervising them? And by the way, dads, I would say this. You need to follow mom's lead in the supervision of the home. Don't mess up her structure. I found that out. That's not a good idea. She's working with them all the time. And then you come home and try to change the plan. Not a good idea. And uh, it sends a double signal to the kids, too. Supervising the home. But when when dad gets home, mom's not able to handle these kids and give them the discipline that they need. They get stronger and stronger. So that's dad's job. And uh, I will, we're just talking about their five points. All right, so number three, affection of the father for the youngsters. Real love and affection. I remember my dad told me when we adopted our son Lucas... He said, son, when you discipline your child, make sure you use lots of love. And he said, more love than the strict discipline. And uh, my dad, he, he, he modeled that for me. So affection of the father for the youngster. The kids know dad loves me. He has my best interest at heart. He wants to see me do well. Number four, affection of the mother for the youngster. The mother's affection. There has to be that love and affection for children. And then you could, in point five, cohesiveness of the family. That is the family sticks together. It stays together. The family does things together. They eat together. Um, You know, what he's talking about is if there's a broken home, obviously you're going to have a greater uh, risk of delinquency. But in that study, he talked about that the children need to see mom and dad loving one another in this cohesive home. That affection between their parents was very important. So their research was tested later on in Washington, D.C., which, of course, we know is, is uh, one of the highest levels of juvenile delinquency in the nation, or capital, Uh, But teachers were asked to send their problem children to a test center. 179 youngsters reported, and the testing predicted that 21 of them would not become juvenile delinquents. Eight years later, 20 of the 21 were found to be non-delinquent. That's how accurate their test was. They had over 90% accuracy. They were more accurate than what professional clinicians could be in looking at the life of a child and at the home and determining whether or not that child will be delinquent and be a criminal and cost the government money. Now, that should be kind of obvious to us, right? Because the Bible tells us the father is supposed to discipline. The Bible tells us the mother is supposed to supervise and be at home with her children to be a maker at home. The wife... And the mother of a family is supposed to stay home with her children and raise her children. The Bible tells us to do that. And uh, the affection of the father for the youngster. The Bible tells fathers to, to love and, to, and not to provoke their children to wrath. And, and the mother and the love for father and mother. Ephesians chapter 6 that we're supposed to love our wives even as Christ loves the church. And the cohesiveness of the family. That's been God's plan. And it's been Satan's plan to destroy the family. So that he can destroy this nation. But it's just obvious to us. Yes, this is what the Bible says. But they prove it in a secular manner. And in a court of law. That if you do those things. You're you know, 20 out of 21. Did not become delinquent. Guys, that's what Proverbs 22.6 says. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old. He will not depart from it. That's the promise proven. Now listen, do you have the faith to believe a promise of Scripture? I want to encourage you. Yes, there are disappointments. And yes, it's not a 100% guarantee. But I want to encourage you that if you do these things, and if you teach your children and your grandchildren these things, and encourage them and them, that the child will turn out. All right, now we can't be assured that they'll be saved, but they'll turn out. All right. You know, um, if you want to ruin your children, then don't train your child. If you want to ruin your children, train your child only partially in the way that he should go. If you want to ruin your child, tell your children that God is the most important thing in life and then skip church to go fishing. You'll ruin your child. If you want to ruin your child, teach your children to do what is right and then fight with their mom at home. Teach your children that the world is evil, but then flirt with the world's entertainments. Teach your children to be faithful to the things of God, but... Don't be consistent or faithful in your own life. You see, there's a responsibility on the part of parents to teach and then to model it and to deal with the heart and with the character of a child. And we have a promise from Scripture to train up a child. I'm going to close with this. If you want to see, if you want to see the depravity of a child... If you want to see how depraved and sinful and bent on evil their heart really is, get them a Nintendo. Get them a Nintendo. Um, I introduced Nintendo to our kids, I think a little too young. And, um, you know, the old, if you don't know this, the old fashioned Nintendos. They are the, the, you, you have to take turns. You have two controllers, but you can only play one at a time on most of the games. Does anybody remember that besides me? You can only play one at a time. So guess what you have to do? You have to take turns. Well, that's not easy for a sinful, depraved heart to take turns, especially when they're young and they're not able to govern their emotions and their actions quite as well. So I found out there's a whole lot of fighting and arguing that happens Uh, And then also opportunities to teach them to work together. But one dad uh, relates his experience of buying a Nintendo for his kids back when they first came out. And he bought them this Nintendo, and they had Mario Brothers. And with Mario Brothers, you can only play one at a time, you know. And um, he went upstairs, and his children were in the basement playing. And all of a sudden, he heard fighting and arguing and screaming and... And he went downstairs and said, what's going on down here? And one of his boys was actually strangling his brother. And he said, hold on, what, stop this right now. Let go of your brother. And he proceeded to talk with these children and with these principles that I'm, that I'm encouraging you to use. He didn't just say, stop that right now and correct the behavior and leave the room. <laughs> he, he pulled them apart sat down with each one of them and spoke to, first of all, the one that was strangling his brother and said, what is it that is in your heart that would cause you to strangle your brother? What desire was so strong that you would use violence and deadly violence against your brother? Was it the the desire to be the one who was playing the game or the desire to, to win the game? the desire to control and bring your brother into submission to your own will and your own power so that you could get what you wanted. And he talked to him about selfishness and about violence. And he said, what is it that is more important than your relationship with your brother? And then he talked to the other boy. What did you do to provoke your brother to such violence and wrath to the point to where he was choking you out to get a turn to play that game. And um, you know those games, they, they bring out violence in children. A lot, of, a lot of parents just leave their children to watch screens and play video games, and that's how they babysit their children. That's how they keep them busy. That's not training up a child. Even even at the age of four, I'll tell you this about Lucas. At the age of four, I've let him play some games. I don't let him play the shooter games and I don't let him play the, the violent games. But there's this one game that he's been playing and it's this guy on an island and he's riding on a skateboard sometimes and he jumps up in the air and gets fruit and things like that and gets points. But when birds come along, he punches the birds. And when there are snakes, he kicks the snakes. And, um, and I'm thinking, oh it's just animals, you know. But guess what happens? They go, back, they go out into the backyard. And uh, Lucas is playing with his yellow dump truck, you know, and doing what kids should do. They should be outside using their imagination, playing with sticks and stuff like that, climbing trees and falling out of them. That's what kids should do. You know, and I limit their video time. And it's a reward thing. But anyways, he's outside and here comes a little cat. One of our little lovely cats that we have. Uh, and one of the many. And um, here comes this cat. He's playing with his truck. He sees the cat and he goes, like that. Pops the cat right in the head. And, and, I, and Beth saw that and I saw that and I said, Oh, what is going on here? So, you know, I, I worked him over pretty good after that and had a talk with him. And I told him something that you should always tell children when you discipline them. Tell them this. Would God be pleased with what you just did or what you just said or with your attitude? Would God be pleased? Would God like that? And he's four years old and I asked him that question. Guess what? It, it, it hit home. No, God wouldn't be pleased that I punched a cat. No, he wouldn't. That's God's cat. God doesn't want you to punch his cat. And we're supposed to take care of his animals and God tells us to... Take care of our beasts. So God wouldn't be pleased, would he? No, and I'm not pleased. And that cat's not happy about it. So um, so I dealt with him. But you know, that's just how quickly a child's heart can be moved to violence. Because they're inclined to sin and to evil, and we have to train them to do right. And you know that, don't you? But I, but I learned a lot from, from studying this. I've been studying it for quite some time. But uh, I've learned a lot that when there's a problem, I, I sit the kids down and, uh, and I talk to them about the issues of the heart. If they lose their temper, I tell them to take a time out, sit down, you need some time away from the other kids, and then I talk about what's going on in the heart. did this with Jace just yesterday, and uh, what, what do you think was happening in your heart? You're boiling over, your anger's boiling over like a pot of water boiling over on the stove. What happened? Well, this is what you should do when that happens. You need to separate and take a break until you calm down and you cool off. But then what was really going on in the heart that caused you to yell and then to raise your fist and to want to you know, knock somebody out? What was going on there? And Talk with them about their heart and show them that your heart is sinful and God's standard is perfection. To love your enemy, God's standard is perfection. And if we do that with children, eventually as they grow up, we tell them God's standard is perfection, and eventually they'll throw their hands up in the air and they'll say, I can't be perfect. And you say to them, that's why you need Jesus and what He did on the cross because none of us can be perfect. He died for our sins. His blood can wash them away, and God gives us forgiveness, and we need it all the time. That's the only way that we can go to heaven. And that's how I'm trying to raise our children. That's what I wanted to encourage young parents in our church to do with their children. And if you're wondering, that was point number one from my sermon. So there might be a series maybe in this, and I'll encourage them to go back and listen to the first. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed, and um, let's respond to this word this morning. Uh, You know what, folks? There's There's a whole world of people out there following Dr. Spock and and they're saying, don't discipline your child, you'll hurt, you'll hurt their ego or their psyche or something like that. But this evidence today from the Word of God, and then that study by the glucks proves that God's way is the best way. And, um, and I want us, all of us, to encourage the next generations coming up to raise your children with the Proverbs. Raise them the Bible way. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we just pray right now as a group of people, we pray for the families that are represented here in this church. We pray for the families with young children that are not here this morning for one reason or another. Some of them had obligations. And Father, we pray for the families of, uh, of people uh, that are not church members necessarily, but they're a part of our families. They're people that we know and love. They're children that we see on a regular basis. And we just pray for those. We pray for wisdom that you'd grant wisdom, that you would draw them to yourselves, draw them to uh, a knowledge of the Word of God and, and to get serious about raising their children according to your plan that you put together in the Word of God for them. You've given us an instruction manual, Lord, for life. And we have it right here in our hands. But there are many families who are kind of out in the world, living worldly, but they know better. And I pray, Father, that you'd draw them back in to be uh, with you To walk in the light of the Word of God. And Father, I pray for the children in this community, so many delinquents that we have, Lord, and I know that they can be saved from that, that uh, Jesus died for all of us, that the the gospel can reach them too. And I just pray for the delinquent children in this area, Father, that you would save and that you would call uh, some into the ministry. And Father, that you would be glorified. And I know that good wins, love wins, you win in the end. And so, Father, I thank you for that. And I pray for this great nation, a nation filled with delinquents. And Father, I pray for many to be saved. I pray that you'd protect us, protect us in our homes, Lord. Uh, protect us as we travel, Lord. We pray that you would uh, that you would um, answer these prayers that we have this morning, these requests. And Father, that you would undertake. And we pray for the prophets, especially with all the traveling that they're doing, that you would Give them traveling mercies. We pray for healing. We pray, Father, for comfort. And uh, Lord, we pray that you just bless us now as we go. Bless our memories of fathers. And we thank you so much for the institution of the family, for giving us fatherhood, and for all that they mean to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Brother uh, Randy, I think we'll just go ahead and close right there. We'll do this in an unusual way. We'll just go ahead and dismiss. And God bless you all as we're being dismissed. Just give me just a minute to get down the center of the aisle and I'll meet you at the door.